Hey, right then. There we go. Wow. Yeah, there we go. We are live. What a mission that was. Was that not an absolute mission? Boys that and girls, if you are... Success. Success, finally. I can't believe it. <laughs> if you are joining us on LinkedIn, thank you and welcome because we've been trying to get this going for the last 15 minutes. How hard was that? Yeah, unless they've been Intense. watching us for the past 15 minutes and we just sit it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, if you have, you must have had a right laugh because it's been us twiddling our thumbs wondering what on earth is going on with all this stuff. But uh, but here we are. We are live. Thank Thank goodness. And welcome, welcome, welcome uh, to VUX World Live, the rundown, where we do run through all of the news that's happened and all the kind of talking points in the voice and conversational AI industry and kind of digest it and package it up and help translate it into why it matters for you working in the industry or who's thinking about conversation and, and, and your voice kind of strategy. I'm your host, Kane Sims, and I'm joined as always by Dustin Coates. Dustin, how do Doing all right, doing all right. How are you, Kane? Yeah, yes, very well. And, and super excited to welcome our new special guest co-host for the month of May for the rundown, Claire Mitchell. Claire, welcome. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. No worries. It is a pleasure. Uh, so for anyone who has listened to the VUX World podcast... Anyone who's familiar with the podcast, you would have heard Claire speak on the show in February, and we thought the episode was so fantastic and Claire's insights were so interesting that why not make this whole thing a thing and bring Claire along to help share a little bit more of those insights uh, with, with you a lot a little bit more often. So thank you, Claire, for, for joining us. Absolutely. Do you want to give us, do you want to, for those that didn't see the episode back in February, uh, in the show notes, if you're listening on the podcast, we'll stick it down there. Uh, and you can you can check that out. To your heart's content, on demand, as they say, not live or. But, uh, but yeah, Claire, do you want to kind of give us a bit of an intro and, and tell the people a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm Claire Mitchell. I'm a product design and innovation consultant, mostly focused on emerging technologies and new user interfaces. Um, most recently came from the agency world. Uh, working with brands to help them expand their communication with their audience. And prior to that was uh, in the IoT space, designing software platforms for industrial IoT applications. Cool. So on with the show where we're yeah, going to we have a lot of news. Yeah, we've got a lot of news going on, uh, a lot more to choose from. Uh, where do you want to start, Dustin? Uh, let's start with maybe one that's a little light, but also, I think also timely as well. The news coming out from uh, VoiceBot, I believe is where it was posted about voice controlled elevators. I don't know if after those uh, technical challenges, we want to try and play a video clip right now, Kane, or do we want to go straight into we, we We can we can try. Why don't we kind of uh, have a bit of an overview of what the story is? And in the meantime, I'll try and see if I can fire up this uh, this clip. Yeah, so the company Pico Voice um, has unveiled a new voice-controlled elevator and intercom system. And so the idea here is that uh, you can step into the elevator, say, take me to the fifth floor, or call apartment 3G. Uh, reason why this might be interesting is we are seeing voice leave the home and then go into the building. I know, Kane, you and I have spoken on the show about before about entering retail, for example. Um, and that's something that we're definitely seeing right now. And we're seeing voice now in the buildings as well. And this might be also timely also as we all have become germaphobes for, for valid reasons here. And 
you know, elevators are, are a carrier of germs, right? You're, you're pushing the buttons, you're, um, you're, you're touching things and same for, for speaker phones and things like that as well. So this shows that voice is, is moving into that domain as well. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen this, it's a, uh, it's a clip from the BBC, if I recall correctly. And, and Kane, you, you might have to explain this a little bit, especially for the uh, American listeners, uh, because we do have um, groundskeeper Willie. So that's our, like, uh, <laughs> our, our, our frame of reference for the Scottish accent. But from my understanding in the UK, the Scottish accent is known as the one that's the most difficult to understand. It can be. Um if if you it's a little bit like the Geordie accent people think I'm a Geordie for some reason uh, and and it's a little bit like that whereas if you speak to someone from Scotland or from Newcastle most of the time you can understand what they're saying it's just that when two people from the same place are together speaking to each other and you kind of walk past as a bystander it kind of sounds a bit like a foreign language um, <laughs> but but I think I'm, I'm, I'm northern so I tend to understand most Scottish people <laughs> Yeah, and then what this clip is, is two Scottish people, if I recall correctly, two Scottish people that were in an elevator. It was only voice control, so there were no buttons at all. And they couldn't go up, they couldn't go down, they couldn't get out uh, because they just simply were not able to be understood. <laughs> that would be pretty frustrating. This is a really cool example, though, because I think it does show that, obviously, because of COVID, we are going to have a desire for more um, contactless interfaces in public spaces, whether it's point of sale, um, elevators is a great example, um, ATMs, if they can figure out the privacy piece of that uh, hospital. It's, um, I think this period of time is going to accelerate our need for some of those um, solutions that voice can provide. Um, but I think it's also an acceleration towards this idea of ambient computing. Um, and and that's all propelled by this moment in time. Hmm. Yeah, think about how many how many screens there are outside of the home. I did a, I did one of the LinkedIn vlogs on this uh, a few weeks back, which is like you think about all of the 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 menus in restaurants and takeaways and fast food places and stuff like that. You think about train t- train stations. You know, anywhere you need to get a ticket from, basically. Um, you know, you got like even your likes of Argos and supermarkets have got the click and collect machines where you can go and put your order number in and it'll run your order through and stuff like that. Um, increasingly so, digital screens are everywhere outside the home, and, that, and that's kind of one of the things that I do think will will change post COVID. Certainly, the medium term kind of um, time period will be people who are just not going to want to touch stuff. You know, we, we're wiping down our shopping when it turns up. You know, that like you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Well, it's even more than that. Uh, I remember an episode, it must have been a couple of years ago at this point, where we were speaking with an agency who was uh, putting echoes in stores. So uh, those were the installation mechanism was actually echoes there uh, for, for whiskey, for whiskey and mm. wine, I believe it was. Mazage, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've always said that my dream and, and Claire, you might have experience with this because I, I know you're doing a renovation right now. My dream is to go into a Home Depot, go into a Lowe's and never actually have to speak with a person uh, <laughs> because because those those can be very confusing places to go and find what you're looking for. And they can be uh, a little intimidating as well if you're not an expert at, at home repair or anything like that. Being able to say, oh, you know, I'm looking for the screws that work for drywall, like maybe I feel a little stupid asking that because I like maybe there's a term for it. I just don't know. So it may even be beyond just screens. It may be people as well. You know, we, 
Um, I've worked with a company in the past where they're giving their associates, uh, they're actually their associates are bringing their own phones into work, but they're giving them an app where instead of having to go over to a point of sale system, they're able to bring up their phone and say, Hey, do we have anything in 36 long and white uh, for Calvin Klein or whatever? And mm-hmm. so you're still maintaining that relationship, but you're also able to get the information that you're looking for. Yeah, I think one of the cool things that uh, Pico Voice, the um, company that's behind this or the platform, um, it's sort of facilitating really domain specific applications. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to your point about the hardware store or whatever it might be, it empowers developers, designers to create a very domain specific application in the elevator is like the most domain specific that you can get. There's only a couple of things that you might want to do in there. Um, and it doesn't have to actually be connected to the internet because it is so lightweight. You're just training um, based on a couple of different um, utterances, a couple of different turns that you might anticipate. And that's pretty cool. It can run on a microcontroller apparently. So you could create your own voice connected vending machine um, with little relatively little effort Mm. yeah you're right there is only a couple of things that that you might want to do in there which you want to go up or you want to go down and i think that that's probably one of the yeah you're right it's one of the best it's one of the best kind of uh narrow use cases you could think of isn't it you can't really stray too far away it's numbers and up or down yeah i think we might see more of that actually um the other thing that struck me was um, the wake word is, is elevator, which seems very obvious, but it also brings up this subtle design decision about um, whether our interactions with the spaces around us and the things around us is mediated by a virtual assistant, or if you're just talking directly to the thing and telling it what you want it to do. Um, and I think for, for folks that are working on um, these interactions, it's nice to resurface that as an option and not always assume that everything is going to be mediated by an assistant. Mm. Dehumanizes, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about is, uh, you know, this audience, uh, us three and the the people watching as well, or are people who have adopted this kind of technology. But I wonder if this is something that there might be a little bit of a backlash against. Uh, I didn't really notice any article, whether this was in office buildings or whether this was in residential buildings, but I can certainly imagine someplace like a residential building having an always on microphone uh, inside that space is something that a lot of people would feel uncomfortable with. Depends how people, depends how you classify as always on and, and what it's doing. You know, Claire, you were mentioning there that these kind of things can run on device without requiring an internet connection. And so, you know, even though the microphone might always be on, it doesn't necessarily have to send that audio anywhere for it to kind of function. Now, there's probably an education thing there. You know, people at the moment think that these things are listening to every one of the conversations and then sending you emails with offers based on what you've been talking about. But uh, yeah, maybe it's a bit of education that needs to happen, I think. That's a really good point about it not sending the data elsewhere um, because if it's not connected to the internet, it's also worth considering the sort of CCTV um, stuff that we've grown accustomed to being around. I think a lot of elevators probably already have cameras in them, maybe without audio. Mm. Good point. Some maybe even with audio. Uh, Yeah, I think, well, also kind of related to the, the, the kind of COVID thing i suppose then is is the um 
there's there's two kind of stories. One uh, was which is Google Assistant, uh, which is kind of a byproduct of the first one, which is the the need for um, kind of like biometric identification. So there's an article in uh, the it's the biometricupdate.com, which uh, it's it features Pindrop, and we've had Pindrop, we've had Simony Wilson from Pindrop on the podcast uh, in the past talking about that that solution and how it uses like voice prints to authenticate and identify someone, and the kind of the gist of this. This kind of story was that call center demand because of COVID is absolutely skyrocketing. It's going through the roof. People are wanting to know what's going to happen to their, you know, holidays and, you know, train tickets and insurance policies and all that kind of stuff, um, which places a huge demand on contact centers because they don't have the staff necessarily to be able to scale for this kind of demand. And so they're turning to AI agents to try and handle some of that stuff a lot more, or at least to try and kind of bring people to the call, having already gathered up information about them up front you know so that the agent is informed about what people are phoning about to cut the call time down um and the kind of gist is that you know, pin drop can do that kind of thing but with so much skill it gets harder and harder or there's more risk essentially for people to try and kind of tap into it and and, and take advantage of it yeah it was interesting to see that the the google voice match was um intended to be a more robust way of identifying people within the household um, and also spoken about in the same story was the ability to, to change the sensitivity of the wake word so that if you happen to have a more noisy environment. And I think that two interesting things about both of those are the interesting thing about both of those is um, what they signal for some of our more public spaces, the same sort of use cases we were just speaking about before um, where maybe we do have this uh, uh, ability to change the sensitivity of a wake word in a more noisy area and allow voice interactions in um, places like point of sale systems. Um, but also using biometrics, maybe a combination of both biometrics, voice ID, and other sort of pass words to allow people to use voice in uh, public, inter public interfaces like AT ATMs or others. Do you think we'll kind of get to the point where you know, you mentioned ambient computing earlier on and, and fast forward however long you want to fast forward. Do you think we ever will get to the point where, you know, I could come into your house with Google Assistant being there and just ask it for, for my email and based on my voice, it will know that it's mine and then read my email from your device? Is this the first stage on that journey? I, so it's an, a really interesting question. I think one of the, one of the things about this period in particular is that it strikes up the desire to speculate, which is, I think, a healthy thing. Like what does the post COVID era look like? Um, we've always had the sort of inclination to think about what the future is going to be like, but right now it's even more heightened. And I think we think about that sometimes as if the future is coming at us rather than feeling like we have the agency to determine what that future is. And so we can think about all of these possibilities. Some of them might be a little bit um, uh, more positive. Some of them might be a little bit less beneficial and we might start to see the holes in them. We can start to design towards the future that is the most beneficial. And so I think that sort of scenario that you described is an important one for us to think about as a possible future and go through all the ramifications of, of allowing that. Uh, do we all have this voice ID that's up in the cloud that can be um, 
pointed to when we interact with any of the uh, interfaces publicly, privately, or is that something that we own and carry with us? And what does that look like? I think it's really important that we think through all of those, but I don't necessarily think that's been determined yet. We um, have agency to figure it out. Did you see the Apple patent that um, essentially what it does is they've got it's I don't know if it's if it's technology that's live now but they've got a patent for it which it uses a, a combination of things so one is the your device so your phone in a com in combination with your voice so if if so let's say there's a home pod here and if it knows that my device because it uses this radar thing that will emit from the the device to detect whether or not there's a phone near it and if it's if there's a phone near it and it's my it can identify it as my phone and then I speak and it can identify my voice as being my voice then it can personalize that interaction to me likewise if if anyone else had their device and their voice so it's like it's almost like Apple always does this kind of stuff where they publish patents. You never really know what's going on or whether they ever use it and stuff like that. But they're kind of like seemingly that kind of future is is potential. Totally, that's a that's one model that makes a lot of sense. And the other one I was thinking about when considering the ATM um, as a potential place for a voice interface. How do you uh, input your password without you know exposing it to other folks? And how do you get around? Um, people maybe uh, synthesizing your voice and trying to use that to hack into your bank account. And I think a combination of, uh, of security measures would probably make the most sense. Maybe since they already have cameras, it would be facial recognition paired with voice recognition or something like that. Um, but again, I'm not sure if that's the, the best future scenario, um, but it's definitely a possible one. Yeah, so speaking about futuristic things and maybe a little bit of ethical things as well, uh, Claire, I believe it was you who put down this story about the Facebook chatbot. Do uh, you want to introduce that? Yeah, uh, Facebook has announced Blender, a chatbot that um, can apparently speak about anything with um, empathy and emotion, which is very impressive. Um, the first thing I sort of that struck me in this story was that it was trained on a corpus of Reddit data from Reddit conversations. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, the story is really impressive if, if it's uh, accurate that this chatbot can have what seemingly um, very natural uh, conversations up to, I think it said 14 turns before uh, folks are sort of more skeptical of uh, that it might be a computer, but they actually did side-by-side -side tests and I think they said something like almost 50% of folks couldn't determine whether it was a, a human or a um, bot that they were speaking with. I'm still a little bit skeptical, but curious about y'all's thoughts as well. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. Uh, it reminds me a little bit, uh, OpenAI released maybe last year, uh, this new model, this new NLG model, GPT-2, which I believe if at first they actually didn't even want to release it because they said, this is too dangerous, it's too good. Uh, this could create, um, you know, this could create problems. People can create fake news, et cetera. And there's actually a subreddit where um, bots will have conversations based off just this open AI model. Uh, and in fact, uh, I saw one today where there are just GPT-2 T2 bots uh, chatting about whether we live in a simulation or not. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's quite interesting. And um, 
this NLG is is very very interesting uh, because right now a lot of the stuff we do with conversational it's it's writing the script and then slotting things in, but with the NLG it opens up a lot a lot and and I haven't seen this Facebook chatbot yet, but with the open AI models at the very least it's just it's sort of eerie how uh, how powerful it is. You you can see one or two things where you go okay that's a that's a little weird, but mm-hmm. it's it's quite powerful. Can uh, have you come across uh, an NLG application that you think is useful, or or an area where you go you know I'd really love to have some sort of natural language generated for me. Um, well, on natural language generation, um, the the thing that I was thinking about this week is we had a, we had a brief conversation about this at the start of the week, which was all about Gmail, about how if you start typing an email in Gmail, it'll start finishing off your sentences for you, which is like it's it's a covert, still conversational technology, it's still natural language generation. It's filling in the sentence for you. It's not like necessarily random natural language generation that's responding to a random sentence like in a chat or whatever, but it's still responding to the context of what you're saying and then generating the language to 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 kind of come after it which i think is a a really useful practical way to get this technology in front of absolutely everyone uh, and and have it used literally by millions of people but on on the kind of chatbot side of things going back to the the kind of facebook uh chatbot i always think like it's a little bit like when you see, if you look at the early versions of speech technology, like the shoebox and things like that, like the very first machines that could speak, they didn't do anything really. They just could speak, you know. And then like they could do like, I think it was Audrey, you could do like really, really basic computations by speaking to it. And if you look back at then, you might, you'd be thinking, well, what on earth were they doing? Like, why do that? Like, why, why do you want to make a computer talk? But it's only kind of now or through the 90s and now that you really understand that it has real practical implications you know it's like you can act it's far more quicker it's more effective uh it's a more natural i say natural hands are still natural but it feels more natural to have the interaction with a voice interface um and then i'm kind of thinking well at the moment i'm thinking well what's the point in just getting a chatbot to have a conversation randomly with people and is there a purpose to it and I can think of a purpose which is that people play with chatbots and they want to test whether or not it's any good. And so it doesn't matter if you're an insurance company that has a chatbot that talks about insurance, people are still going to say, are you real? And, you know, what's your mum called? And all this kind of stuff. And so I can see these things feeding into that, uh, that kind of use case today the question is where you know it's similar to the shoebox at the time you wouldn't have known that this device was going to be in everyone's homes that you could talk to and access the internet through it was just a computer talking so i'm wondering and curious to get your input on you th- on where you think the the ability to create a chatbot that has natural conversations where you see that being applied other than uh, interest in novelty yeah i think um The question is, should we ever be fooled into thinking that it's not a bot? Is there an appropriate application for that or a necessary um, application? And I'm not sure. Yeah, I I come down on the... I don't really care side of it. Uh, Like, (laughs) I I, I think there are some things where people overlook the ethical considerations like privacy or... The example that I always go to is um, health diagnosis through voice-first devices. I, I just think that's a bridge too far for a Google or for an Amazon to do. I, I don't think that's what 
um, I hate to say, but normal people would want, people who are outside of the industry would want. But in terms of, uh, we think about the duplex example, the fact that there's a computer on the other side, I don't really care. Like as soon as, as long as, um, as long as the the goal is completed successfully, that doesn't matter to me. If if duplex is not good enough and it can't uh, achieve the goal, then yeah, we need to be upfront and say this is a bot and you need to to speak to it in a certain way or or whatever. But the the idea that some people are saying, oh, this is duplex, there's a bot, I'm going to hang up right away. It's I'm having a hard time understanding exactly what the reasoning is behind that. Uh, and so I'm excited about that, but, but certainly, yeah, I don't want to be too flippant. Uh, if we think about like the fake news example, or even, um, uh, if we go beyond natural language generation and actually generation of the audio as well, uh, we were talking about open AI, they released, uh, last week or wrote a blog post about music generation. Uh, which was quite interesting. Well, I think we'll post that in the show notes because it's, it's it's wild to see. Uh, and so if we ever get to a point where you can combine the natural language generation with the text-to-speech uh, generation that sounds smart enough or sounds natural enough, then that potentially could be could be an issue. In reading through some of the transcripts of the bot interactions, um, I think that there was, it did surface some little uncanny valley moments. And I wonder if we'll, I mean, that's a big question. Will we ever get across that sort of uh, boundary? Um, but I think even if we don't suspect that it's a bot, it, there's some uneasiness about it. At the end of one of the uh, transcripts, there was a joke about, you know, the classic um, uh mushroom he's a fun guy that sort of thing um and the person using the bot explains the joke to the bot and then the bot tries to sort of reference the joke or make the joke back but it doesn't quite work um and i I think we'll see a lot of that sort of thing even if we don't realize why that's happening it'll just be a little bit weird and disturbing Mm. The um, it's interesting because I was reading the transcript and I wasn't sure. And this is maybe a testament to how good it was. I I wasn't sure how which one was the bottom, which one was the user, basically. So I'm kind of there like there were a couple of moments that where I, that struck me as well. Yeah. So essentially, is it the grey? So on the page, is it the grey bubbles that are the user, or is that the bot? I thought it was the blue. The blue is the bot or the user. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, the, the transcript says, why did the mushroom go to the party? I'm not. Sh- then someone else says, I'm not sure, but I'm glad it did. I love mushrooms. What do you do for a living? That must be the bot, is it? I have to look back. Anyway. I think the one that didn't understand the joke was the bot. Yes, yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't get it. What kind of joke was it? Yeah, but it's good because it recalls the fact that it was a joke and it's asking what kind of joke it is and it says, I like jokes. So it's kind of still putting it in yes. in kind of context. Interesting. Yeah, you can see a little bit. Yeah, why did the mushroom go to the party? I'm not sure. I'm glad it did. I love museums. What do you do for a living? Yeah, a little bit of a non sequitur. Although, I mean, that could also be like a child too. Like that definitely uh, strikes me a little bit uh, there as well. I was trying to find like a a pattern in um, the responses to understand, you know, how it was uh, driving them. And it seemed like the formula was reaction to what the person said, like, wow, cool, um, or whatever, then relate. 
say something about um, whether you are the same or not the same, and then ask a new question, which may have nothing to do with the previous. And then that gets into the next cycle. But I don't know if that's true of all of the turns. It's also, I think, something that's maybe a tell a little bit or of either a bot or just a, a bad conversation partner is they don't ask any questions. Uh, the the human is is the one asking the questions, and then the the bot is just giving an answer. Um, and so, it, it's I something's off there for sure. Where you go, okay, in a normal conversation, either this person would ask me questions back, or I would just not continue the conversation. This may have been a different one, but um, the one that I read that I'm thinking about right now, it was sort of like. Um, what do you do for a living? I'm a, a writer. Oh, cool. I like writing. What do you, what's your favorite food? And it just went in sort of that sort of a cycle where yeah. there was always a follow-up, but hmm. very cool to sort of dissect and try to understand how it was created. Mm -hmm. So moving on to some news stories, there was some research that was released uh, this week or, or recently. There was the NPR Smart Audio Report. Uh, there was some research from Juniper as well. And then there was some research on listening habits that came from Pandora. Uh, the, we'll link to all of those. The NPR Smart Audio Reports, there was some relevant information. The Juniper one was a little wild actually because it says that by 2024, there will be 8.4 billion with a B voice assistant devices. And it certainly includes a mobile, but it's, it's seems like a large number. I don't uh, know where they get sure. these numbers from half of them. It's like, <laughs> where, where do you start from? And then what do you base it? I'm sure it's all people who are far cleverer than me doing some crazy statistical forecasting or something crazy, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's mad. Yeah. And then on the, on the smart audio one, uh, which I, uh, I think is maybe a little bit more interesting because they released it on an ongoing basis. Uh, some stats that I saw that were interesting was 24% of U.S. adults own a smart speaker. Inter interestingly, interestingly, this is the same number, uh, same percentage as winter 2019. 23% uh, are listening to music most often on smart speakers versus 17% in winter. Uh, so that goes a little bit to our conversation with Sony a while back came. 52% uh, use voice commands at least once a day versus 46%. And 51% use a voice assistant on mobile. So my takeaway here is that the install base, at least in the US, the growth is flattening. Uh, so 24, not a huge number, but a pretty healthy number. But what we're seeing is that there's more usage overall. Uh, and what I think uh, something that it also said as well is that people have more devices. Mm -hmm. The median number of devices was, I believe, 2.1 versus, I believe, 1.7 in winter 2019. So it seems like when people use it, they enjoy it. But there's a little bit of saturation in the adoption so far. What did you all take away from this? I think it also mentioned something around um, folks who already have a smart speaker are uh, likely to buy another one in the next six months or something like that. So that goes along with your line, the lines of um, people that have them have more of them. Um, so I, it seems like the, the folks that are getting used to sort of using them, even if they're using them just for uh, a couple of 
uh, use cases are interested in this idea that they can go from room to room and have that same experience. So again, a point in the, in the a signal in the direction of ambient computing for sure. That mm -hmm. expectation. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that although the, the kind of growth in general seems to have slowed, it's now in America, over 50% of people have more than one device, which is quite interesting because you're right. It's like whether it's, whether it's because they want the same experience or whether it's because they just don't want to be without it is another kind of question. Like we've, we've got them all over, which we're bound to because we do a lot of testing, we do a lot of work on them and things like that. But I've got like, even even I do most of my work in my office and, and we've still got them in, in most other rooms and stuff. So it's like, I can see how people, once you get used to them and you use them a lot, you kind of want them to be there. I suppose the question is, you know, if th those that have them are using them uh, and, and more so, although I think there was some, in the voice bot one, there was some interesting stuff around third party interactions, which doesn't seem to be happening at the growth that we thought it would do. So the question I suppose is, how do you continue that adoption how do you how do you kind of get continue that kind of growth in in uh, and I wonder what some of the barriers are whether it is privacy because privacy comes up all the time um, and one of the other studies that we've seen probably last year was like even people that own devices are concerned about privacy so it's like it's it'd be interesting I wonder what you think in terms of what you think the, the kind of barriers might be or why that growth growth might have slowed yeah Claire what do you think it's a, it's a great question again. Um, I think uh, figuring out the use cases that make the most sense in, in individuals' lives is one thing, but what struck me is at this, at this time and sort of bringing up some of the things that came up in a Pandora um, assessment of what types of usage are up. Um, in the NPR, uh, report it suggested that a lot of a lot of people are consuming a lot more news, and in the Pandora it suggested that a lot of people are consuming more relaxing music and exercise playlists, and those seem to sort of be perpetuating each other. Um, so just thought that that was an interesting cycle. Mm. Do you think that that because we we've kind of touched on this in the past that. Um, Everyone is like, you know, talking about the killer use case for smart speakers and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, while there is still huge potential for services, this is where kind of where, where I think the future of, of those is, is that you'll use it to bank on, you'll use it to shop on, you'll use it to, you know, add a note to Evernote, or you'll, you'll use it to kind of like either just renew your car insurance or pause your gusto food delivery or, you know, those kind of service based transactions. They don't seem necessarily right now to be the things that people are doing most often. I mean, Amazon had a report out the other month, which was about Amazon Pay and how like 40% of users are using it for payments and stuff like that. So you can see how it might be shifting. But if you think about what the main use cases are, which are working well and have been for the last two years, while everyone's still searching for the ideal use case, it's kind of been there all along, which is audio, essentially, you know, radio, music, uh, exercising, as you mentioned, relaxing mood music. And I think that now, in, certainly in our household, we play different types of music. Again, we mentioned this in the Sony conversation. We play different types of music, which we would never usually listen to without the smart speaker. And so I wonder whether the the immediate future should be for brands and people wanting to kind of investigate smart speakers as devices should be essentially just focusing on some kind of aud audio I think smart home is a big one as well. Uh, smart home is 
maybe not an entry point, but once you get used to it, it's it's uh, it's something that's probably seventy five percent of my usage is is around smart home, and I can easily it's it's the thing that's giving me the most value, I think, in regards to the voice, and it's the thing that I miss the most when I'm on the road. I agree with that line of thinking. I think that um, our interactions, the growth of our interactions with our voice user interfaces is going to be in the distribution of them, not necessarily in uh, talking to a singular smart speaker or several smart speakers. I think it's, um, it's an input that's going to be everywhere uh, in all of our interactions with digital information. And so when I hear that, that question, it makes me, it's, it almost is like, what's the killer app for the touch screen? Hmm. That's sort of how I, I start to think about it. Does that make sense? I like that. I like that a lot. It's, it's something where Kane, I think when we've had conversations with people over the years, it's, it's, we tried to move people away from thinking about building for voice first and, and building for voice. Uh, I think Claire, you're right. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we've said before to people is you don't have a, a keyboard strategy, right. Versus a, like exactly like a, a monitor strategy or, or a touchscreen strategy. A voice is an input and can be an output and it has its unique challenges and it opens up new devices perhaps. Uh, but uh, it's it's also on mobile. It's also on kiosk. It's 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 elsewhere too. So it's not if you think of it as just an Echo or just a Google Home, you're going to miss out a lot. And if done well, I think that it'll start to sort of disappear from our um, explicit or our consciousness a little bit. Like the elevator example, once that's in a couple of elevators, we'll stop thinking about it as being a voice activated elevator, and it'll just it'll just be an elevator. That's how we interact with our elevators now. <laughs> yeah. It's the same it's the same as the Google Gmail use case we talked about earlier on, isn't it? It's just sitting there in the background doing its job, helping you be a bit more effective, uh, a bit more productive. I think there's there, there's still um there's still a kind of argument of not an argument, but it's like what Amazon and Google are trying to do essentially is in part create a platform which you know, is there's a difference between the platform and the interface. So on, on Apple devices, the interface is the screen or the keyboard, but the platform is the operating system, the, the OS. And so you've kind of got this, the, the two kind of, there's two parts to it, isn't there, with this whole kind of voice and conversational thing. It's like one is it's an interface. It's an interface to your line of business systems, to your ticketing system, to your payment system, to your stock, your inventory, all of that kind of stuff. And it helps people find stuff, retrieve stuff, do stuff quicker. So you can use it as a, as a almost you can use these platforms as a throughput to your line of business systems, expose that through a new channel. Um, but you can also have that voice interface on your website or in your app. And it's, it's you know, it doesn't have to run on the platform that it's an interface. But then also at the same time, you've got Google and Amazon um, Samsung potentially as well, who are trying to provide an environment for you to build on top of to create bespoke new experiences that are specific to that platform. Things like interactive stories, you know, interactive exercising, um, maybe la- some. Not I was going to say the live cooking thing, but only because you can interact with it verbally and ask questions and have them read the questions back and stuff like that. More like interactive live stuff. And so it's 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 interesting to see how it how that's playing out. And I'm I'm I'd be interested to get what your thoughts are on this. But I'm seeing more activities start to move away from the platform towards the interface. 
rather than the other way around? Would you kind of, would you kind of concur or not? It's a really good question again. I think, um, I think I'm seeing it in both directions because people are, folks are trying to figure out how to create a cohesive experience across all of their touch points, whether it's on one of these platforms or it's on an owned platform. And um, so I think that there's a lot of um, testing going out um, and, and trying to make sure that uh, you're present on these platforms, but that you um, hopefully also have your own um, strategy as well. Carlos has dropped a comment. Thanks, Carlos, is saying that security is an issue. Uh, however, people may gradually prefer to give up that privacy to gain four minutes of their time through interacting with voice. What do you think about that? Will people give up their privacy over time for, for a more convenient experience? In they, some they cases, already. Yeah. In some cases, absolutely. Hopefully that the, that uh, trade-off is transparent and explicitly um, uh, demonstrated before um, folks need to opt in. Mm. And that there always is an opt-in. Yeah. Do you think that there is... Um, so, so to Carlos's point in terms of gaining four minutes of time, that's kind of the potential, isn't it? Is that you can you can do things quicker. However, you do see uh, certain experiences that could potentially make things longer. For example, if if it's a tree based kind of narrative and you it, it just asks you question after question and you've got to answer yes no yes no to get through, like there was one in, insurance thing uh, I was testing before when I was giving a talk a little bit of research into some different insurance skills and I won't name which one it is because I can't remember, <laughs> but it's, but essentially it kind of asks you a load of policy kind of questions and you just got to answer yes no yes no to it, and in reality that as an experience took me longer than it would do for me just to skim down the website and just click yes 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 you know those kind of things have you ever been you know are you ill right now have you ever had a claim and have you ever been bankrupt all that kind of stuff and so it's interesting to find that kind of where is that sweet spot between things being quicker and then how do you communicate that to people who don't use voice as an interface right now and if you could communicate that is that enough for them to then want to use it does that make sense mm -hmm. i guess in that in that case um, it's potentially the next time that you use that um, system, it, all of the information that you shared could be stored and it could be stored across systems, which is where you start to lose some of the privacy or security potentially. Um, and that could be the case, whether it's in the web interface or voice. But once you have all that information saved, um, using voice might be a little bit faster. I also think it's just a matter of time in general, you know, whether it's smart speakers, I think that focusing on that report and on the smart speaker adoption is, is uh, it's good for the smart speaker industry and, and to get a feel for the platforms that we're talking about. But I think it's a matter of time before voice as an interface becomes a default across a myriad of, of devices. It's like, you know, when the, when the smartphone, when, when the app store, whatever, use any analogy of previous technologies or previous interfaces, it's just an inevitable path, isn't it? That it just keeps on going and, and, you know, you won't be able to buy a device soon without a voice interface in it. And over time, it just becomes something that gets used. That's what I think anyway. Mm -hmm. Moving on to another story. Uh, Claire, I'll let you introduce this one. Uh, the AI conference with a twist. 
Yeah, uh, this is a really fun one. I read about an AI conference, which sounded interesting. They're looking for submissions. So if anybody has um, something that they want to submit, they can uh, submit work on conversational interfaces, natural language understanding, um, computer vision, um, automated speech recognition, all sorts of interesting areas. But the conference is going to be held um, in Animal Crossing, which I was not familiar with before this, but it's apparently a virtual game, sort of like SimCity, I assume, but you're an animal character. And the presentations will all be done in character in this sort of virtual space. Um, so in response to our having to cancel all of our in-person conferences um, recently, they've modified uh, their approach and into something that's a little bit more experimental, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, because this space can use a lot of experimentation and it seems like this conference is a huge opportunity for that. Kane, do you, do you play animal crossing? Are you uh, among have, the group? The only time I play animal crossing is when I'm walking Winston <laughs> uh, and I need to get to the other side of the street. Um, no, I'd, I'd never heard of animal crossing before. before really? That. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks fun. I, I don't play it. It's it's not my style of game because from what I understand, it's like having a fake life uh, inside inside a game, uh, and and I've got one life is is enough for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Uh, yeah, I've, I I probably wouldn't play it otherwise. Um, but I am curious about this conference because the dynamics of watching a presentation or giving a presentation um, when you're in this sort of new environment, I think um, changes a lot of things. Maybe it makes folks less inhibited uh, or inhibited to talk about their ideas. Maybe it makes people take it less more less seriously, but um, I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, for sure. Sounds like fun. There's also an element of friction in there as well, isn't there? Like I know that we talk about voice being frictionless and all this kind of stuff, but there is a train of thought out there that, that kind of says that sometimes the value is in the friction, something that you need to kind of hop over some hoops for. It makes it feel worthwhile when you finally get to it. So it's kind of like to have something that sounds really fun, which is the draw, but then there's a bit of friction to get there, which is that, first of all, you need to figure out what Animal Crossing is, and then you need to create <laughs> an account, presumably, build a character and then learn how you actually go about navigating through there to, to do the conference in the first place, which almost is part of the experience, you know. I just love seeing new ideas for uh, for how we can get together after having this sort of a barrier to getting together. Mm. One other one that I um, became aware of recently was a pizza party in VR. I got an invitation to this thing. And if you signed up, um, the host would send you a real pizza to your house and then you experience the pizza party in VR with everybody while you're eating real pizza. I th just thought it was super clever as a way to create a connection between the digital and physical. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think maybe let's let's take it home and wrap it up. And I think the last question here is not a story, but uh, what's on your mind? What's What are you working on? What are you thinking about? What's, what's keeping you up at night? Uh, in the voice space. Kane, do you want to go ahead and start? Yeah, um, a few things, that really. The things that are on my mind, um, it's interesting. Some Someone um, asked me the other day, what um, do you find that doing the podcast uh, and creating content helps you 
learn. And I think it, it definitely does because I've been doing a, a daily vlog on LinkedIn, which means that every day I have to think about something, which means I usually have to read something or consume something or digest something or do something like that. And then having these podcast conversations with fantastic people every single week, it kind of broadens your mind all the time and gets you thinking all the time. Um, plus mix that with the situation that we're in right now, you know, uh, and thinking about, I've been thinking more about not necessarily voice, but more around you know, the the reality and the gravity of what's going on in the world, which is that no one's been outside to see people for a long time. And then the reality of opening up the world again isn't going to be straightforward. And I didn't really appreciate that. I didn't realise that, you know, it's not going to be a, flip, a switch that flips. You know, like my wife works, uh, she manages one of the clinics, but it's based in a gym. And so that gym's not going to open anytime soon. It's going to be one of the last places that open. And so it's like, how do you stagger things? And, and so within all of that, I've been thinking a hell of a lot about where is the place for conversational technology? And is there a place for conversational technology within all of that, you know, within the current situation, you know, and, and then also beyond that. And we're talking about things like, you know, we mentioned it before, Gmail, the, the technology that sits behind there that predicts what you're going to say next based on what you're typing, you know, that technology fading into the background mixed with people's kind of like potential for not wanting to touch surfaces. And is there some kind of alignment? We've touched it with the elevators and things like that. You know, so I'm kind of just thinking about all of this stuff going on right now and whether these are the kind of conditions that are ripe for innovation on the conversational kind of AI side of things. And that's kind of probably for the last few weeks has been one of the main things I've been kind of thinking about. Claire, what about you? What's on your mind? I have to say mine is actually pretty similar to Kane's. It's it's really about what um, this moment is going to accelerate in terms of um, the way that we adopt our conversational interfaces. And so as part of that, I've just been spending a lot of time thinking about practical speculation and how that can inform design this idea that the future is not coming at us, but that we have agency to figure out what it should be. And so as we look at the signals of change today, we're all at home, we're not touching surfaces, all of these sorts of um, things that we can pick up on. What are the potential future states five, 10 years down the line? Um, both negative and positive, and which ones should we design towards? Um, And then beyond that, just different styles of workflow. I think one of the barriers to using voice in our um, general workflows day-to-day is that we're in noisy offices. I think that this might accelerate our ability to, uh, if folks build these systems, to use voice in in our work if we're in a more distributed workforce So I've been thinking about design tools and how design tools could be um, voice enabled and what that would mean. So sort of an exciting thing to think about. How about you? Mm. yeah, so I was just going to say the one thing on that, which is you're saying what will it accelerate. There's a Forrester's report, um, which is saying that in in March in March of lockdown, basically what's happened is that the uh, all of the people who would have been shopping online and forecast to start shopping online in three to five years' time have all started doing it now because they've had to, essentially. It's like necessity is the mother of all invention kind of thing. And it's kind of like, so I'm thinking along the same kind of lines is what will be brought forward that would should have took five years, but because of the situation, it's going to be kind of crammed forward. Sorry, Dustin, what, what, what are you kind of thinking about at the yeah, moment? Yeah, the thing that I've been thinking about the most is boring applications about natural language understanding. So uh, a lot of 
what we think about with new technology is what's exciting, what's uh, the music or the, uh, you know, the, the games or the entertainment. But for me, what I'm very excited about is the boring things, the things like the, you know, as simple as helping people fill out forms when they're, let's say, listing a product on eBay. Right. If you're able to use machine learning, you're able to use NLU and say, OK, based on your description, we think that this is going to be uh, the best uh, tagging that you should add to it or inside enterprises. Uh, anyone who's worked in a company has had uh, a Google Drive or a shared drive folder full of documents where you can never really find what you're looking for. How can NLU help that? Uh, how can NLU help uh summarize our meeting documents? How can they do these things that aren't in themselves changing the world, but little by little they're improving the world. Uh, and so that's what I'm thinking about a lot lately is how can we do NLU to do that? What does NLU need that it doesn't have today to help companies build those experiences? The the the, re, the actual value basically then is uh, yeah yeah getting helping people get stuff done and putting it in a place where it's useful is uh, yeah one hundred percent. Eric is saying uh, voice has not fully been adopted mostly in Africa, and so there's always the the, the potential also for for geographic uh, distribution of this kind of technology and and almost democratizing it as well you know like at the moment you need uh high speed relatively decent internet connection you need the device you know you need an app to set these devices up uh as well you know so it's like almost get, getting voice and nlu natural language understanding and processing into areas where it can be democratized democratized and, and made accessible to to absolutely everyone no matter where where yeah. you are yeah google calls this the next billion users and this was a fairly big part of IO 2019 was they, they actually have um, the, the candy bar phones that have, uh, you can text, you can make calls, but you can also communicate with assistant as well. And so it's all uh, sort of very low impact, low data that's necessary. And also things like one of the things that we often forget because we, we're living in a first world country or we're in this good place is, Lots of people can't read. Uh, and so voice is something that opens up a lot of opportunities to them as well to, to do banking, to go to the doctor, to, to communicate in a way that they can't today, today because they aren't able to read. This is also something where a platform like the Pico Voice um, that allows these domain-specific voice-enabled experiences that don't necessarily need to be connected to the internet could uh, be brought to more... Um, rural areas if they can uh, mm -hmm. be valuable mm. indeed well this has been epic we've uh, we overcome the uh, the technical situation that we uh, that we started off with and uh, yeah thank you for those that were that were bearing with us while we we're trying to get moving and uh, thank you all for tuning in it's been absolutely epic claire it's been an absolute pleasure having you along for the ride it's been so an immense conversation it's been thank wicked you. it's been absolutely wicked and uh, yeah so it, it'll be the same time next week for those who are uh, tuning in who've enjoyed yourselves and uh, feel free you know if you if you have anything interesting that you want us to discuss then you can uh, pop it in the comments here um or you can you know drop us a line on linkedin or twitter or anything like that. any stories that you think are useful for us to discuss and we'll do the same again we'll we'll pick it apart and digest it and uh, and you know try and try, try and turn it into something useful so thank you all for joining us and until next time see you later <laughs>